Fast Forward Season 6, the question um, is, it's kind of like a statement question. And when we got it in, um, Ben and I had a whole little nerdy moment. So some of y'all, you know, like I enjoy nerdy sermons. So the question was, I would like to know if some people are chosen and some are not. Is it pointless to pray for everyone you choose to pray for? Oh, I, this, okay, so I need y'all, I need you, not just want, I need you to slow me down if I go too fast. Here's why. There, this is such a big question. It's a huge question, probably bigger than most of us like immediately think of, but the, the question has to do with the sovereignty of God and woo, we in West Michigan. And, and that means something that I'll talk about throughout the day. So slow me down if it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, you're going too fast. Uh, I entitled the sermon, The Chosen. <laughs> just because it's cute. (laughs) Um, It has nothing to do with the series. It's just because. Uh, We'll be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll also spend a little bit of time in 1 Peter. All of that will show up on the screen. Um, So if you're like online, you don't have to go back and forth in your app, or if you're even in the building, you can jump, you know, you can be in your paper Bible or your backlit Bible, um, but it'll also show up there. Okay, we got to lay some groundwork first before we even begin having this conversation because the primary, like the, the root of this question comes from two different kinds of theologies, right? So there, and theology has to do with not our study of God because you really can't study God right? You can study the patterns of God. You can study the relationship that God has had with humanity. You can study what God has done, but you can't like put God under a microscope and look like, oh, that's what God is. Like, that's not how this works. So theology is not the study of God, but it is our understanding of how God has interacted with creation and our relationship to God, right? That's the best way to think about this. And so there are two kind of, several names for theologies, but Calvinism versus Arminianism is where this, this question is rooted. If those words are new for you, it's okay. That's why I told you, it's a lot. We got to lay a lot of groundwork. And I, uh, there's a, there's a um, website got, called Got Questions um, that I love to go to. It's just a really good resource for different commentaries and different little, little random things. They put out a video about this that is going to help us lay some foundation. So let's tune into the video and then we'll jump back in. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Which view is correct? Calvinism and Arminianism are two systems of theology that attempt to explain the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in the matter of salvation. Calvinism is named for John Calvin, a French theologian who lived from 1509 to 1564. Arminianism is named for Jacobus Arminius, a Dutch theologian who lived from 1560 to 1609. 
Both systems can be summarized with five points. Calvinism holds to the total depravity of man, while Arminianism holds to partial depravity. Calvinism's doctrine of total depravity states that every aspect of humanity is corrupted by sin. Therefore, human beings are unable to come to God on their own accord. Partial depravity states that every aspect of humanity is tainted by sin, but not to the extent that human beings are unable to place faith in God of their own accord. Note, classical Arminianism rejects partial depravity and holds a view very close to Calvinistic total depravity, although the extent and meaning of the depravity are debated in Arminian circles. In general, Arminians believe that there is an intermediate state between total depravity and salvation. In this state, made possible by prevenient grace, the sinner is being drawn to Christ and has the God-given ability to choose salvation. Calvinism includes the belief that election is unconditional, while Arminianism believes in conditional election. Unconditional election is the view that God elects individuals to salvation based entirely on His will, not on anything inherently worthy in the individual. Conditional election states that God elects individuals to salvation based on His foreknowledge of who will believe in Christ unto salvation, thereby on the condition that the individual chooses God. Calvinism sees the atonement as limited, while Arminianism sees it as unlimited. This is the most controversial of the five points. Limited atonement is the belief that Jesus only died for the elect. Unlimited atonement is the belief that Jesus died for all, but that his death is not effectual until a person receives him by faith. Calvinism includes the belief that God's grace is irresistible, while Arminianism says that an individual can resist the grace of God. Irresistible grace argues that when God calls a person to salvation, that person will inevitably come to salvation. Resistible grace states that God calls all to salvation, but that many people resist and reject this call. <laughs> Calvinism holds to perseverance of the saints, while Arminianism holds to conditional salvation. Perseverance of the saints refers to the concept that a person who is elected by God will persevere in faith and will not permanently deny Christ or turn away from Him. Conditional salvation is the view that a believer in Christ can, of his or her own free will, turn away from Christ and thereby lose salvation. Note, many Arminians deny conditional salvation and instead hold to eternal security. So, in the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, who is correct? It is interesting to note that in the diversity of the body of Christ, there are all sorts of mixtures of Calvinism and Arminianism. There are five-point Calvinists and five-point Arminians, and at the same time, three-point Calvinists and two-point Arminians. Many believers arrive at some sort of mixture of the two views. Ultimately, it is our view that both systems fail and that they attempt to explain the unexplainable. Human beings are incapable of fully grasping a concept such as this. Yes, God absolutely is sovereign and knows all. Yes, human beings are called to make a genuine decision to place faith in Christ unto salvation. These two facts seem contradictory to us, but in the mind of God, they make perfect sense. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. Okay, so that's a lot. If you need to go back and look at that video, gotquestions.org. <laughs> Calvinism versus Arminianism. But I needed to at least lay that, like, just let the little video lay the groundwork. It matters significantly in this conversation because that's really what the question is about. Like, the question is about, like, 
are we, does God just choose us for salvation? So I wanted to like show us a couple of also denominations or churches that are that are part of those different groups. All of the, both Calvin and Arminianism are Protestant Christian groups. The reason why I said that we're in West Michigan and why this matters is because Reformed theology is a Calvinist theology. So if you are from here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you, anytime you, most of the time you're talking to a Christian, Calvinist theology is some way whipped into the way we think. Those of us who are not from here, we kind of looking like, what y'all talking about? <laughs> Man, right? And that's, so when you think of like Dutch reform, like RCA or the CRC, like, right, is Reformed Church of America or the Christian Reformed Church, that's where we get like uh, sayings like all things happen for a reason. Right? That's a very Reformed and Calvinist way of thinking. So someone's experiencing hardship and their cultural way of comforting one another is everything happens for a reason. Some of you are shaking your head like, that ain't a thing. And I'm saying that's a part of the reason because it has to do with this, this belief that God is in some way his hand is tinkering around with everything at all times. Reformed Baptist churches also have that kind of way of thinking. Um, Presbyterian, right? So like Presbyterian Church of America or PC would be. Um, let's look on the other side of that, right? So these are the other extreme Arminian churches, like Wesleyan denominations, and I, even though Unison is a part of the Wesleyan denomination, there are other churches that are on that tree, <laughs> like Methodists, um, United Methodists, AME or AMEZ, which is African Methodist Episcopal and African American, excuse me, African Methodist Episcopal Zion. Come on. <laughs> Nazarene or colored Methodist Episcopal. Some of y'all didn't know that was what the C was in CME. See, listen, right? So there's a, there's a rich, long history of how racism has impacted the church that has created those denominations, which is another sermon for another day. But that's what, they, that's what that means. Most Pentecostal denominations are a part of this Arminian wing <laughs> uh, on this conversation. So the Church of God in Christ, Assemblies of God, Apostolic Churches, and then an interesting thing, Free Choice Baptists. Like, Baptists get to be on both sides of this thing, <laughs> right? So I love the last little part of the video. The last little part of the video is that ultimately this is above our pay grade, <laughs> right? Understanding this completely is above our pay grade. So the expectation is not that you, go, you leave this place having been able to study the mind of God and like, I got it. I figured out God and salvation. If you do, you are leaving with arrogance, and I need you to come back and surrender that. Because <laughs> that is not of the Spirit of God. Trust me when I tell you. Nothing about this sermon is, this is what you need. Like, you're going to understand everything. It's to answer the question, but also 
to kind of set it in what is our role? Like, where do we have some space where we can understand and move with confidence? Because I think that's also what's rooted in this question is, how can I be confident in one, my own salvation, right? That's, a, that's an important thing. But also, how can I be confident in the individuals who I am praying for and are or expressing the gospel to? Because if, the, if there is this thought that God has placed some birds on some people and some people get bats, well then, how do I know which one to talk to? Right, And I think that's what the question is kind of rooted in. So I, I reframe the question a little bit. Um, so are some chosen for salvation and others not? That's really what's happening when we start thinking about and having this conversation. And here's the truth. There are a wide spectrum of beliefs about this. And our conversation thus far, the sermon thus far, has just been looking at Calvinist versus Arminianism. And the Calvinist theology is, at its purest, some are and some are not. And the Arminian side of that is, all are invited to and some will not choose it. And it has to do with that idea that, we, that how much choice do we have in this? Another foundational thing that we all have to understand, especially knowing this is above our pay grade, in Scripture, salvation isn't about status. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 I felt that, Mama Kim. In Scripture, salvation isn't about status. And that is something that we struggle with as humans, but the Bible doesn't struggle with. We want to know how good we are. We want to know how bad our neighbors are. We want to know how close to Jesus I look. We, that is not, scripture does not care about that when it talks about salvation. It's not about status. It's not about who's on the top. It's not about who's on the bottom. That is something that we struggle with. And as we walk with Christ, begins to fall off of us, but kind of in the way in which we teach, it's kind of still there. It's kind of, we kind of like marinated in that. It's an insecurity. Humanity has an insecurity. How do I measure up? So even that leaks into how we are as believers, when we think about salvation, we're thinking, how do I measure up? That is not what Scripture is thinking about at all. Scripture is really defining and even centering salvation around relationship and purpose. So if we could, if we could somehow remove the idea that when I receive salvation, my status changes, because it really doesn't. When I receive salvation, I have a renewed relationship to God, and my purpose is established. Those are two different things, right? Right? Here's the truth. Whether or not we're in a dynamic and intimate relationship with God, God still loves us. Period. <laughs> Whether or not we are in a dynamic and intimate relationship with God, God still wants to shower grace and mercy because that's what God decided to do, right? Like, I, God got up and was like, listen, I want to just show out, you know, shower out grace and mercy, so there. 
And that has nothing to do with what you did today. <laughs> it has nothing to do with status and everything to do with relationship to God and purpose. And we'll, as, and we'll keep going. Um, nerdy moment. Let's talk about what the word chosen actually means in Scripture. I get to pull out my Greek. Equatos. <laughs> uh, chosen shows up in Scripture in three ways. Picked out, right? Selected out of many. So I'm going to pick this, right? That's, that's kind of common sense English chosen, like I choose this, right? There's another thing, though. Two is appointed by God, endowed with special purpose. So I did say that I chose the, the title, The Chosen, because it was cute. But that's actually what we're talking about when we, when we think of what Christ is. Christ is chosen. It means chosen or anointed one. And humans have been considered that as well. Endowed with special purpose. And the best of his kind, the dopest out here. That was my little the Chase Amplified version. Um, Laughter uh, Ultimately, any time you see in Scripture this word chosen or even elect, it's kind of going between one of those three meanings. And it's the context that lets you know what the meaning is. But here's something that I also want to make sure that we, we have really rooted in our, um, in our understanding. It is never, ever about God having a different status of an individual, it's always still about relationship and purpose. Always still about relationship and purpose. The conversation or the question, rather, is, is really still in that vein of I'm insecure about my status with God. That is never going to be what that means. When we talk about the best in its kind, that's not actually talking about people. The context of the best in his kind is kind of like um, choosing this wood over that wood, this bread over that bread. Most of the time when it has, when we're talking about people in Scripture, it's one or two, right? Okay, let's jump into Scripture because um, there's two real portions of Scripture that I think highlight where we should be thinking when we think about chosenness in Scripture. Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus has been telling them parables because that's Jesus' way. Uh, uh, and he starts off with it, or he continues with this. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Some of you all are familiar with this, right? You've heard this before. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet! Exclamation point. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. 
The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. (laughs) And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. I'm going to pause. Jesus is giving this parable, this story, but of course it has meaning to it as well, right? He's not just telling a bedtime story. He's trying to illustrate and highlight something for them that they need to grasp and they need to catch. So, the interpretation of that so that what they're supposed to be grasping, the Father has invited the Jews. Let's just be real. That's what that, that's who the first invitation was to the Jews. Hey, we about to do a wedding banquet. Y'all want to come down here, get this grub. I done ordered, you know, <laughs> Slow Joe's barbecue, and it's going to be great. The first invitation they ignore, like they got, that they went to their junk mail or something. The second invitation, they actually insult the messengers. They harm the messengers. That is what has, that's what happened. Jesus wasn't like giving a parable that was like, ooh, it really hurt my feelings. No, they killed prophets. <laughs> Jews hurt prophets that were trying to get them, hey, listen, I want y'all to come to the banquet. Come on over and we just going to harm you because we don't like what you're saying. That's what was going on, and that's what Jesus was pointing to. So even though that's not something that we have necessarily experienced in our kind of time on the planet, Jesus was explaining something that was Jewish history. Old Testament really, really highlights this. Start like some of them Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and they didn't like what they were saying. That's what Jesus is talking about. And when he said that I, he burned their town, that was when God sent them into exile, right? That's the best way to think about that. Like, oh, you burning up, you, you killing my messengers? Well, then I'm going to just burn up your city, right? That's kind of how, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He continues, now, this is what the king said, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. That's why anytime you see in Scripture where it talks about this idea or repeats this phrase, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, that's what that means. God's initial invitation was, hey, y'all Jews, I want you to be a part of this banquet. You don't want it? Okay, well then I'm about to go get everybody then, right? That's kind of how, that even though this is just a parable, it's not to necessarily say that was the heart of God in terms of how it all worked out. It's just to give them an understanding. Y'all didn't want it. <laughs> so, listen, everybody, I'm about to bust this thing wide open. Anybody, everybody, come on in, right? Last few verses here. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, 
How is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Last verse. Some of you have heard this before. For many are called, but few are chosen. The whole reason why I put this in here is because of that last line. Because sometimes we hear that line out of context, right? Where somebody gets up to sing a solo and it's not so great. <laughs> and somebody lean over to them, many are called, few are chosen. <laughs> That's not what that means. Okay? That just means they needed to practice longer. Okay? That has nothing to do. <laughs> that is not what Scripture is saying. But a part of it is because we cherry-picked that verse out and also because we're in this soup of confusion about what it means to actually be chosen by God. We're going to highlight what that actually means in a moment. But if I were to paraphrase that whole last thing, what I'd say is the invitation is free, but you don't get to wedding crash. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus was saying when he says, many are called, but few are chosen. I invited the whole city. But that don't mean you just get to walk in here like you own the place. <laughs> if you didn't RSVP. You ain't got the clothes on. That's what that means to them, right? For us, it's like clicking the button that said, I'm coming. You having on the right clothes in this parable, in this context, you, everybody else got on all blue and you somehow got on red. That means you didn't get the follow-up email that told you what to wear because you didn't RSVP. You cr you're trying to crash the wedding. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that many are called. The invitation is free, but you don't get to wedding crash. <laughs> That's not how this works. <coughs> Moving on to 1 Peter. Peter was encouraged talking to the folks he was writing this letter to. And he's, this letter is being written to new believers, both Jew and Gentiles. They're all getting it and all that kind of stuff. And he's initially talking to them about the fact that they were a scattered people. They didn't have a culture. They didn't have, they weren't together. Kind of like us, yeah. right? It's okay for us to say that. When we look around this room, all of us were not, we ain't come from the same place. I put up denominations that I knew some of y'all came from, <laughs> Right? We, did, we have not all come from the same place. We have not all culturally come from the same place. We don't have the same silent rules about how close we stand to each other and what we say and what we don't say, when we say it and when we don't say it. And Peter was talking about that with them, but then highlighting that something has changed. Right? But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Some of you, like you, you come to this verse. It says, you are a royal, you are royal priests. Old school would have said a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's very own possession. 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Okay, there. If you, I'm, I'm pausing on purpose. Because if we stop at that, fir- at that first little section, arrogance is what will be born in us. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm chosen by God. And then I leave. For what? As a result, (laughs) you can show others the goodness of God. That's the whole point. They choose you just because you're pretty. I chose you because I need something to happen. That's what I mean by that relationship and that purpose piece. As a result of being chosen, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So often, we, again, are wrestling with this insecurity of, I I feel small. I feel insignificant. That is in some ways because of being in West Michigan in a Reformed Calvinist culture where basically we're taught, you suck. (laughs) Without Jesus, you're nothing. And listen, we're saying songs, right? Like Ty Trebek got a whole song where it's like, I'm nothing without you. Um, which I'm, listen, I wrote a song that was like that too. Like, <laughs> and there's a part of that that is a little bit immature. It doesn't make it wrong that we need God. Right? It doesn't, mean, it doesn't make it wrong for us to know that I'm something and I need God. God made me something and I need him for that to be fully realized. But it doesn't automatically mean I'm trash without him. Which is a really, really, I know it's a touchy, tough subject. Right? That's why it's important, and I love to continue to say this, sin is the problem, not you. Sin is the problem, not you. When God said that it was good, meaning us, everything that God created, including us, was good, there is nothing that has happened in earth since or, or before that has ever been able to discredit or denounce what God has said. So by default, humanity is good. And by default, when sin entered into this mug, it all got stained, but it didn't take away the goodness. Right? Right? Think about it. Sterling silver is still good, regardless of whether or not it's tarnished. It just needs to be cleaned. Still retains its value. It just looks a little dusty. And I'm telling you, here's the thing. That's not that. So here's the problem. I think a part of why those of us as church leaders have leaned into telling 
individuals that you're no good without Jesus is to highlight how good Jesus is. And sometimes we, we just kind of toggle back from extremes. If Jesus is that good, that means you got to be super bad so that you really, really want him. But that's just not the fullness of truth. Without Jesus, you won't be able to fully recognize how good you are. And you'll just kind of be half doing good. <laughs> you're like, good, but. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're good, but if you did a little more. You're good, but if you. That's really what's happening when we talk about salvation. Salvation doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't change our status. It's no new words. It doesn't change our status. It just restores our relationship. I told you we were going to talk a little bit about chosenness and see how this all pulls together. So I made some nerdy diagrams because I felt like being nerdy because this is a perfect sermon. Can you go to that? Oh, good. So... There are three movements, like three big movements of what chosenness looks like in Scripture. God's chosen representatives to creation. Not plants, not animals, not minerals, humans. Right? That's in Genesis. When God, when we were created in God's image to govern and steward the earth, that means we are the chosen part of creation to represent God to the rest of creation. So when we are in right relationship with God, trees should experience God more clearly. Right? When we are in right relationship with God, animals and, the, and all areas of nature should experience God more dynamically and fully and experience an intimacy with God through us. That is what that means, to be God's image bearers. That's what it means to steward and govern the earth. We humans are chosen to represent God to creation. Go on to the next movement. There was another chosen group, Israel. Abraham's kids and such. <laughs> of all the people that were alive at that time, the people groups, God was like, yeah, I want Abraham to represent me to other humans. Stay there for just a moment. Stay there for just a moment. Humans in general share the responsibility to represent God to creation. But Israel shared, the people that were a part of that group, shared the responsibility of representing God to other humans. That's why they, like, that, that's why when Peter was saying that you are royal priests, here's the thing, it's because we got grafted into that. that Ever since God chose Israel, there's always been an opportunity for people who were not a part of Abraham's biological family to jump in. It's, that's not new. <laughs> that didn't just happen with Jesus. It's called grafting in. That has always been there. People have always been able to opt in to what God was doing through humanity. It's never been nothing. That's, that's all through the Old Testament. Ruth is one of my favorite ones. Ruth is not a part of Abraham's line. 
but she got a whole book of the Bible named after her, <laughs> right? She jumped in the mix. She was like, I like what they got going on over there. I want to be a part of it. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your God is going to be my God. That wasn't just some fancy words. She was grafting into the whole family. Your God will be my God. <laughs> and then, and that continued. Moments in Scripture where that shows up when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. Some of us skip past this in Exodus. There was a bunch of the people that were a part of Israel and then a bunch of people that were not as well. And they're all just like, I like what y'all got going on. Your God seems dope. Let's go. I'm going to be a part of that. That has always been a part of it. Here, that's important. Because when we talk about the question, if are some chosen and are some not, all the way back from the Old Testament, God was choosing and letting people elect in. <laughs> Day one. I've chosen Israel, but you want to be a part of Israel? Come on. <laughs> That's, it's not new that God has invited widely. It's always been there. Go on to the next one for me. Another movement is specifically talking about Christ. Christ, yes, it's okay for us to pause for a moment to have a little bit of a theological rabbit trail. Jesus is God. I get it. And Jesus is also human and Jew. Did you catch it? <laughs> like he is embodying this chosenness from day one. And also beginning a different invitation of what chosenness looks like. So this is not like religiously arrogant. I'm not saying that. There's some wonderful things in Buddhism and wonderful things in Islam. They're wonderful character. Like your character can be developed in so many different ways, but there is only one way to the Father. That's why I said like before, there's lots of on-ramps to Jesus, but only one on-ramp to the Father. All them different denominations are on-ramps to Jesus. And I think it's a beautiful thing. If there's only one way to the Father, God, thank you that there are several thousands of ways to that one way. Because if there was only one way to the one way, then some of us, would, we'd, we'd all be lost. Because some of these ways I don't like. Let's just be real. <laughs> some of these ways, I just, uh, I, need to, I need to run around the room a minute. Okay? And if the only way was a little more stoic, I wouldn't be a Christian. Just being honest. I'm being honest. I need something. Jesus has, in, like, Jesus has made a way to invite all of the beauty of the diversity of humanity to be in right relationship with the Father. And even though there are other ways that I can experience character development, the point isn't character development. The point is relationship and purpose. 
And that's why the other ways are not adequate. Because they do not get to the relationship with the Father and bring us back to purpose. That doesn't mean there are not good things there, though. So those of us who are like, man, there can't be nothing good in Buddhism, that's a lie. Here's the thing. If humans got anything to do with it, there's a little bit of good in it because God said we're good. Yes, we're stained. I get it. But it's not about status. It's about relationship and purpose. Here's where all those th- these three things come together because the fourth move, woo, the fourth move is, has to do with us. Jesus Christ, right, the chosen Christ, is a part of the Jew chosenness and a part of humanity's chosenness. You are here if you want to be. So all those portions of Scripture that talk about us being in Christ, that's where your chosenness shows up. (laughs) That's where it shows up. That when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, if we are in Christ, then we are in all of that trifecta of chosenness. That's why every single promise that was given to Abraham is also given to us. Because if we are in Jesus, we're in all of that. That's why your purpose is restored. Because if we're in Jesus, we're in all of that. That's why he is the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through him because if we are in that star, if we're there, that's where chosenness shows up. And it's the asterisk is if you want to be, because the invitation is wide. But we already saw from Jesus' parable that some of us don't want it. Some of us opt out of it. That has also been something that's, new, that's not new. From the beginning of time, God has given you, us, the ability to say, I don't want to do what you want to do, God. You don't want me to eat from this tree. I want to because it looked good and it looks and it tastes yummy. That's what the scripture says. The the fruit was beautiful and it it tastes good. So that's, so I'm, I don't want to do what you want to do, and so on and so forth, even up until this day. This is what you want, Creator God. Uh, I want something different. If I want to be, I can experience a relationship of chosenness that represents God to creation, represents God to other humans, and redeems all of it. (laughs) A part of the purpose of Christ is to redeem all of it. And we, if we are a part of Christ's body, are a part of that work of redeeming it. Salvation is never so that you can just get a ticket to heaven and say, like, I'm, I'm coming, right? No, that is not how this works. That you are not saved from hell because you said yes to Jesus. That's not how this works. Nope, that's not the point. I know that's what some of us were fed, and it's not untrue. It's just not the point. It's just not the point. Sure, if it helps you, 
Yes, there's eternal splendor and happiness with Jesus. But that ain't the point. And if that's what you set your mind on, that's wedding crashing. Because you didn't RSVP to the same party. You only come into the reception. And I had some family members that just showed up at my reception. <laughs> I'm like, where was you during the wedding? No. <laughs> Listen, there's some things that happen during the wedding that we are a part of right now to redeem the earth. That's a part of what this is. Anything beyond that is wedding crashing. If you just showing up so that you can make sure that you're secure in eternity, trust me when I tell you that ain't it. That's not what this is. That's not what we're chosen for. You're not chosen for a reward. You're chosen for relationship and purpose. And that chosenness is in Christ. And you get to opt in the moment you say, yes, I want it, Jesus. Then all of that chosenness, all of that favor, all of that blessing, and all of the discipline that comes with it becomes yours. And the moment you wake up and say, yeah, ah, this was not what I thought it was. (laughs) John says there were some people who were with us and then they left because they never were really with us. <laughs> oh, man, it's so like, see when I tell you it's nerdy, like it's this, this conversation of are some people chosen and some people not being chosen? Do I have to pray for everyone? The answer to the question is yes. <laughs> Please pray for everybody. <laughs> please, please do. Go on record, I get it. We're part of the Wesleyan branch. That means by definition we're Arminian. Like, <laughs> I do think that there's some blend here. Uh, I was reading in Ephesians. Is there another slide? I can't remember. No, good. I, I was reading in Ephesians um, some years ago, and, um, and it was like, it, it, it Paul was talking about election over and over again, and I was like, God, I don't understand this. And there is, there is also this truth, too. If I were to give it a, um, and, and in that time, of, let me back up, in that time of spending uh, time in prayer with the Lord, really started to process with me this idea of us having a limited will. And here, and like, what does that mean, God? There, I think the rule is the invitation is free. You get to opt in to what this chosenness looks like, this, re- this relationship and this purpose. But there are some individuals throughout Scripture and throughout time where it's got, God needs to move a ball down a court. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm choosing you. Samson was one of them. So was John the Baptist, right? These are two people who their whole life, their whole career was chosen before they was even conceived. Like, it's like, I'm about to do this with your kid. I'm not even pregnant. Don't worry about it. You're going to be pregnant by this time next year, and this is what I want the baby to do, right? <laughs> so there is this moment where God breaks that rule, but the rule is, the rule is, the invitation is wide, you get to opt into this chosenness if you want to. And should the Father 
see fit, I need to move a ball down the court and I'm about to do some things that make no sense to get it, get it there so you know it was me, so y'all don't think this is a rule. I'm about to have virgins get pregnant. I'm about to have old ladies get pregnant. I'm about, I'm about to have people who like, <laughs> listen, I'm about to do some stuff that nobody does to make sure you know that was me breaking my rule so you don't apply that to your life. Because here's what the rule is. The invitation is wide. It always has been wide. It always will be wide. You can opt in if you want it. But when you opt in, be in. Right? Be in. Don't have to do this. Be all the way in or all the way out because both are an option to you. Because once you get in, relationship and purpose become a part of what this is. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you invite us to be a part of your family. You invite us to opt in to what you are doing in the earth. And Lord, also, thank you that you have given us the option Sometimes that's hard for me to even think about because I have loved ones who I want to choose you. But you have given us the freedom to choose you. Which makes our love, our purpose, our relationship to you even more dynamic and colorful and intimate and close. Help us, Lord. When we are discouraged, help us to not just remember the end reward, but the relationship and purpose that we have in you. Lord, also, give us conviction to pray like it is a choice. Lord, the discouragement that I may feel and about praying for people who don't necessarily want to be in relationship with you, God, will you re-encourage me to pray and when the time makes sense to speak, to invite. Give me grace to always be looking for an opportunity to share your goodness because that's a part of what this is. We get to share your goodness with the world. And some will receive it. Give us grace, Lord, to do that with compassion, conviction, and unconditional love. Also, Lord, give our church family wisdom as we live this out. God. Lord, we do come from so many different places, but at the end of the day, we are one family, one body now. And so, Lord God, give us grace to live in this in a way that brings you glory, that is for one another's good. We trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.